Hebrews 10 and chapter, uh, chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 31 is today's, uh, section. But let me set the stage because we have a few people who haven't been here the last before. We are going verse by verse through Hebrews. We're in one of the sections where there are warnings against apostasy. There are five such warnings in the book of Hebrews. Apostasy would be to leave the faith or for someone to have come to Christ, later renounce Christ or go back to something else and walk away from the Lord. And this warning is very severe. And what we're going to be talking about today is that in these warnings, after the severity of the warning, there's always comfort. And we saw that in chapter 6, and there's some, there's some very close parallels between Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 as far as this warning against apostasy. But let me go back to, to get the context here. Back to verse 26. I'm just going to read 26 through 31. And we're on verse 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment in the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he deserves who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, here is a passage that you probably, like I said before, you probably don't see a lot of people putting it on their refrigerator for their, for their memory, memory verse. <laughs> it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But everything in the Bible is for our benefit. Why, why would it be for our benefit to be warned like this? What do you think? Yes, Sam says, so that we won't be lost. And I have, uh, I published an article on this topic some years ago. And the position I took in the, in the article, in the critical issues article, is that this, for, for Christians, this warning is effectual. Okay? Yeah. And, and when we read this, the Lord uses it to put the fear of God into us and to keep us from falling away. And so there's a loving purpose behind these severe warnings and these so-called hellfire and brimstone verses. Amen. Um, and it's not a bad thing. Now, it also, I think, it serves a purpose for people who may be, how would you say it? They may be uh, professing Christians that aren't really born again. Amen. And I think that somebody like that, who maybe is in a church and says, well, I believe in Jesus, but doesn't, never really met him personally, might read a verse like this and think, my, I need, you know, and cause them to flee to the Lord uh, for salvation. God can use whatever is in his word for our good. Yes, Dan. And I was thinking of Moody on one of the daily breaths. He says he was on the train, 
And this guy come up to him, so drunk, I'm one of your converts. And Moody says, you know what? You are one of my converts, but you're not Jesus' convert. That's the difference. That's the difference. One of my converts, that levels the preacher. God draws him, the Father draws him, and that's yeah. the way it is. Not, you know, lose none. But a lot of these uh, purpose-driven, you know, they're going to have lots of converts. But what kind of converts? Yeah. So there's God changes lives, doesn't He, by yeah. His by His grace. And so we're on verse 31 now. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And now this is a uh, reference all through Hebrews, we have allusions to the Old Testament, um, and here I think it's just a general allusion to number a number of places. Uh, there's Sinai, okay. Remember when Moses went up on Sinai and there was all the fire and the and the cloud and what did the people say at that point? Oh, tell the Lord that they were scared to death to touch the mountain they died. We're so in such fear and trembling. Please talk to yeah, the Lord. Though. Yeah. Exactly. They said, Moses, you go talk to God. We think we'll die. We're going to stay away from it. So that that would be certainly uh, something that would come to mind when you read this verse. And what about Korah? Remember when Korah decided that Moses wasn't God's man? And they started a rebellion? What happened to Korah? Dropped right in. So that, that kind of thing would come into mind. Well, I have some cross-references, so let's uh, um, let's read some cross-references. Where did I? can't remember where I started. I may have to have some help with names. I've been learning more new names in the last month, and I'm not... Um, Floyd and Jerry? Hey, I'm good. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I, need, I may need some help. Diane is down in Iowa. Her, uh, she owns a trailer that she bought from her her aunt's family when her aunt passed away and her mom and dad have a trailer on Lake Okoboji. So she goes down every other weekend in the summer to spend time with her parents. And the problem is I don't know how to get dressed for Sunday. Oh, you're fine. No, I kid you not. I, I'll, grab, I'll grab a pants and a shirt and a tie and she says, nothing goes together. So if I don't match, don't blame Diane. I had have, have no clue. Okay. Jerry, could you read Psalm 76, 7, and Floyd, Psalm 90, and verse 11? And um, I'm, I'm still struggling here. Name? James? Jerry. You're Jerry, and you're Jerry? Yeah. Well, that's easy. I can't get it wrong. Okay, James, Isaiah 33, 14, and Jerry, Matthew 10, 28, and Nick, Hebrews 12, 29. Okay, uh, for the first Jerry, Psalm 76, 7. You, even you, are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Okay, who can stand in God's presence when he's angry? Psalm 90 and verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? Or your wrath is as great as the fear that is you. Okay, it talks about that wrath and the anger of God. Then Isaiah 33, uh, 14. Sinners in Zion are afraid. Tremblers, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Wow. Well, 
That was something that was absolutely real to the people in the Old Testament because they saw it and experienced it in, in their history. Um, who, can, who can dwell with the terror of the Lord? Matthew 10, 28. Um, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. And that, Jesus said that, didn't he? Yes, he did. Was that Jesus? Okay, yeah. Jesus said, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, some people are uh, trying to create sort of a warm, fuzzy version of Christianity that's minus all these kind of negative things. And, and they present, and this is what I heard when I was a kid growing up in a liberal church. Jesus is this nice person, and the good Lord would never send anybody to hell. And, and so you get this warm, fuzzy, nice Jesus, and you never hear any of these verses about that we're reading here today. Well, the fact is, Jesus taught about hell. Amen. And Jesus said that hell was a literal place where people could end up. Amen. So if Jesus taught it, you can't just dissociate Jesus from his own teachings. And, and say that this is not appropriate doctrine and that people don't want to hear it. As a matter of fact, everything is in the Bible is there for our benefit. Okay, uh, Hebrews 12.29. That's a short verse. For our God is a consuming fire. So the thought of imminent judgment is a motivation to keep us from falling away from God and from going into sin and going our own way. And if we were to fall, it is a motivation to come back to the Lord. Amen. And if we'd never met the Lord, it's a motivation to come to Him on His terms through the Gospel, through Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about the blood atonement in the sermon today, and we'll, we'll get into more in depth about this issue of averting God's wrath against sin. That is the aspect. What we're talking about is the one aspect of the Gospel that's being deleted nowadays. <laughs> It's absolutely missing in most cases where people don't even hear about it. And because it's offensive to some people to hear about the wrath of God against sin. But we need to remember that if you don't believe in the wrath of God against sin, then you're not going to see the need for the blood atonement. Yes. Uh, yes, people who believe you can lose your salvation would uh, look to these verses as proof. Now, that's why I wrote an article about it, because I believe in that when God gives people eternal life, it is eternal life. It's, not, it's not temporary. There's no temporary eternity. No. Amen. Okay, but I would not uh, lighten the, the impact of these verses. And so the, my position is that for people who are saved, they may be very tempted in, in, to, to go back, and they may actually for a time depart, but that God will use His grace and verses like this to bring them back. Amen. And uh, so they do apply. And they also apply, and there are actual apostates, and they are people like Judas. Judas could be considered an apostate, but the Bible said he had a devil from the beginning. And John said they went out from us because they were not one of us. But it wasn't apparent that they were 
not one of us until they went out. And the disciples didn't know that there was something wrong with Judas totally until he left. And so there, that would be your apostate that actually does uh, perish, but such a person never was truly converted. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of that concept is, from our perspective, Father, regarding me, he can't look at my heart and know whether I'm a Christian or not. Only God does. And so from all apparent uh, human observation, I may be a Christian, and I may say, lose my salvation, but in this case, I was probably never really saved. I'm just... Uh, I was either fooling myself and had false assurance or other people looking at it. I think that's part of what is so destructive about false assurance. And I say, you're fine. You don't have to repent. You're just fine the way you are. God's wrath against sin isn't a big deal. Just he came to give you a better marriage and a better job and better everything. So just believe in him and you'll be fine. If you think you're fine and you don't embrace the gospel, I'm, I'm paving the way to hell. And this is... This verse is scary. Yeah, maybe I'm not fine. Yes, uh, I think it's a huge, the biggest problem in a religious country like America is false assurance. Amen. And, and there are some people who outwardly, I probably told you the story about the guy I worked with when I was in Bible college, who was the nicest guy at the whole company. He was kind, he was charming, he was happy. He was way better than me. I, I had more bad days than he ever did, at least outwardly. I, mean, I came to work crabby some days, and this guy was like, Hi, how's everybody? He's just the Mr. Wonderful, nice guy. Been married to the same woman for many, many years, and good citizen, paid his taxes, worked hard, and was a model citizen. But one day we were going to have a Christmas thing, and he told everybody, I'm not going to be there. And they asked him why, and then he started cursing and swearing and blaspheming God. He says God is worse than Mussolini and Hitler. Uh, and he was an atheist, and in his heart he had this hatred and bitterness for God. But the reason I share the story is that outwardly he was a better Christian than most Christians. And so God knows the heart. So if an atheist can live a nice Christian life, Although he wouldn't call it that, that that would have been that would have been acceptable to just about anybody in a church, uh, as far as the morals and, and the standard that he followed. How much more could somebody who says that they're a Christian and just you know be a good citizen and don't curse and swear and don't beat your wife and you know or do anything really bad? Noble pagan. A noble pagan, yeah. Yeah, and so really God knows the heart. So the, so these, so this sort of preaching, uh, about hell and, uh, and the need for the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment is so important. Because we can be sitting there thinking we're fine and we need to be convicted and pierced to the heart that, that if I told one lie, I'm already lost. Amen. Okay, uh, Mike Colagelli. Well, one problem I think we have is that we always uh, look at a personal situation. And how, how is, you know, how is my believing in Christ benefiting me and, you know, am I comfortable with that or this and that? But what the Bible says is this is a big sweep. You know, this is God working through the universe and time to 
And Ephesians, the first chapter, talks about God's plan is to bring everything under Christ. And this is his working out of his will. And that sin and death and, and all this stuff is going to be eventually destroyed. And you make a decision whether or not you want to come under Christ or be destroyed. And this is a, it's, it, and it's not only a physical thing, it's, it's a, a heavenly spiritual battle. Uh, the likes of, you know, the limits of which we don't understand as yet. But these things aren't happening, they're sorting themselves out. And we need to know that whatever our feelings are, or our beliefs, or you know, the way we observe reality, these things are taking place. And only by uh, accepting Jesus um, and putting ourselves under his authority do we have any hope for the future because everything else that comes against God is being destroyed and, and it, it's temporary. It's, 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 even as we speak now, the very powers that we think are so insurmountable in the world are, are moving away, are dying, are passing away. And you have to have that bigger picture, I think, to um, reconcile some of these verses about yeah, exactly. Well, and, and nobody's going to get the picture if it's not preached in a pulpit. And, and, and that's, that's my uh, passion, and I intend to spend the rest of my life not only preaching this, but trying to motivate others to do so as well. Let me read a little bit. This is the next CIC article, and I actually address this. Let me read you a paragraph. I'm going to quote myself. That's weird. How weird is that? You know, I do talk to myself when I'm out golfing or driving on the driving range. Well, that was a bad shot. Yeah, Bob, that was bad. <laughs> At least you know somebody's listening. <laughs> All right. Here, but uh, this is uh, going out here to, uh, next week or the week after. But this is about what we were just talking about. It's called True and False Unity. A regrettable development in current evangelicalism is that the term gospel is often used in a way that lacks the content of the gospel as preached by Christ and his apostles. Today we hear, quote, come to Jesus and have a better marriage, unquote, or, quote, come to Jesus and find purpose in life, or come to Jesus and he will solve your economic or emotional problems, unquote. None of these statements is the gospel. First of all, do the hearers of this weak message know who Jesus is? Perhaps some are Mormons who claim to believe in Jesus, but have a different Jesus. Secondly, do the, those who hear this message know what Jesus did for them? Maybe they hear that Christ died on the cross. But why? If Jesus came to solve their marriage problems, give them a better job, or get them off of drugs, why did he need to die on the cross for these matters? This confuses people because it is confusing. Jesus could help people solve problems without dying on the cross. God has power to give people better marriages, find them better jobs without having his only begotten son killed by murderous rebels. Then I go on and explain why he did die on the cross. He died on the cross to avert God's wrath against our sin. Amen. To save us from hell. There are people who get off drugs who never become Christian. There are people with good marriages who are not Christians. 
there are better people with better jobs than we have who are not Christians. Amen to that one. <laughs> yeah, we all say amen to that. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of Mother Teresa's out there, but but only true Christians are say are saved from God's wrath. Yes, Pete. Yes. So I I get frustrated when I hear those preachers who say those things, and then what's this guy supposed to do when he hears that saying, "Yeah, come to Jesus, your life is going to be better, your you know your wife is going to love you more, and your marriage is going to be great." And and if this guy hears that, yet for two years he's been learning about it. I mean, two years. I mean, it's not a long time as far as a few members learn. After he became a Christian, yeah, exactly. That's that's why um, even Ray Cumber points it out. There are people that preach like that are selling a bill of goods, and 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 they don't they can't know that because we don't know the future, and uh, and if, and if things went well for us. I don't think that's the appropriate testimony. Here's another thing I hear out of these evangelistic events. People get up and say, you know, I was, a, I was on drugs and I was, uh, you know, miserable and I had no friends and I, had, I, I didn't have a decent job and I couldn't afford to buy a car. And now I'm a Christian. Now I have a fancy car. I got, I got all kinds of friends. I'm happy and everything's wonderful. So you should become a Christian too. But again, is that the gospel? No. And, and, and that may be true. In, in that case, this person is saying what's true for him or her. But, but it's not, nothing, none, none of those things are unique to the gospel. There are, it's, somebody could become a Mormon and have those things happen. Yes. All right. And they could, would, would we accept that Mormonism is true? If, if some Mormon came and said, all right, I was on drugs and my life is all messed up and I joined the Mormon church and now I got a nice wife and a nice family and a nice job and a nice car, would we all run out and become Mormons? No. Well, why would we expect somebody to become Christian based on that same kind of teaching? And if they do, it's, it's just as silly. If you do become Christian because of that, I'll be a Mormon for the same reason. I actually had a Mormon. That witnessed me along those lines. My life was all crappy, and now it's better. But you want to become a Mormon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be nice to be a Mormon, but I'd have to go to hell, so I guess I better not do that. Yes, Nick. 
Amen. Paul, yeah, and then Paul said he counted all that else but street rubbish in Philippians in order that he might win Christ. So, yes. Uh, oh, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly, I have talked to people who sit under that kind of doctrine and it doesn't even work for them, but they always assume it's their own fault. They're, and because the, the because they go to this church and the preacher is dripping with gold and diamonds, he's got he's got a he's got a he, like me. I got gypped. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> and and and, the, and he's got a Cadillac. Uh, what's that new Escalade or whatever? Some pants. He's got all this stuff, and 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 the people that go there look like they do because they have to look like it. Because it's required. And, and, and I knew this guy that was going to this church or this health and wealth church and he could never, he never could have anything. He was just broke and he, and he was kind of socially a kind of person that just didn't fit in very well with anybody and consequently could never go up the ladder in a job because he always just didn't fit in. Just didn't have the personality to charm people around him. And, and so he, I said, why do you keep going there? They abuse you. They, they tell, you're not getting rich going there. Well, but it may happen. I, I think I got sin in my life. And he keeps believing this thing that, you know, the next time is going to work and I'm going to get rid of the sin in my life and all, and all, everything's going to turn around because they, they just believe this doctrine and they allow themselves to continually be abused. Whereas the truth is, what's necessary is that we serve God on His terms, come to Him in faith, and trust Him day by day, and the Lord will take care of our situation as He sees fit. And He's going to see fit differently for every single person. Amen. It's like Peter, remember at the end, when Jesus was raised, and He was telling Peter uh, that you know somebody's going to carry you off. Another implied that Peter would be martyred. And He turned around and he looked at John and said, well, what about him? <laughs> I think he'd be a good martyr. <laughs> And what did Jesus say? Yeah, it's none of your business. The Lord has reserves the right to take care of each of us in our situation as is best for us. And if it turns out best best in regards to our eternal well-being and being conformed in the image of Christ, and if it's best for me to go through difficulties and troubles that are very, very difficult to overcome, then that's what the Lord will allow. If He gives me a nicer situation than... Thank God for that, but don't get haughty or look at somebody else uh, and say, hey, I'm doing, look, God likes me better because i got a better car. Right. No. The whole key is obedience. If you love God, obey Him. Notice Job's wife. She says, curse God and die. Now, what kind of wife was that? Curse God and die. But Job obeyed the Lord, and what did he do? He blessed his wife and had ten more kids. So the key is, no matter what your situation is, obey God. And the prodigal son, remember that. How long did it take for him to come back? I was at the nursing home. Everybody thinks this happens like this, you know. And I talked to a gentleman, and it breaks my heart. He was a young man, put his faith in Jesus Christ. And in the nursing home, because I talked to him, and he says, You know, Dan, he said, I got wrapped up in the world. And for 60 years, 
I've been backslidden, and now here I am in the home, totally ashamed. Well, I, I, I ministered to him. But there's an example, the heart. All, there's a million born-agains out there right now that aren't fellowshipping for other reasons. I met a man that wrote two books, and he was so fed up, he doesn't fellowship. So our job is to be specially good to us brothers and sisters in the Lord. Like Pastor said, pray for one another, Amen. encourage one. And that's what they taught me when I got saved. You know what they told me to ask the test would be? You're going to expect hell from the world because Satan's going to come at you. But this isn't what you're going to expect, Dan, is your acid test. You know what your acid test is going to be? Your brothers and sisters in the Lord that are going to hurt you. But you know what? Don't pay no attention. Love them because you love the Lord. And like horse blinders, when you love the Lord, everything goes off. So you will have an acid test. And I thought, where's my acid test? Well, you know what? My born-again wife, first wife, ran off with my brother. So I had fun. And I can go on and on with acid tests. But you know what? I love Jesus. And no matter what happens, he's going to preserve me. And like the prodigal son, we can't be too hard. How long did it take for him to come home? We always read it like that. He was in the mud, in the pigs. It took years for him to come to his senses. And there's millions, there's a lot of Christians out there that yeah. we've got to help that are going to, and they even write past your email, where can I go? Where can I go to get a preacher like this that'll feed me the Word of God and tell me the full counsel? And they're hurt. Yeah, I know. There's not enough places. Are you going to be here Saturday to yes, help I us am. witness? <laughs> All right. Saturday we got Dad out on the street. So you, you want to see people, you want to see people. Uh, confronted with the gospel, we've got to see Dan on the street. Yes, uh, Larry. Right. Amen. Well, like that, that's Philippians 3. As Paul said, knowing Christ, everything else is thrown away, away compared to knowing Christ. And it's, it's frustrating, uh, but I think what, all we can do is keep putting the gospel out there and preaching the word verse by verse and giving people alternative. Yes. I read this morning, and I think it will fit right in here, but in Jeremiah 9, 23, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory of glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. As Jeremiah 9, what? 23. Excellent verse. Remember that verse, Jeremiah 9.23. Don't glory in anything but knowing the Lord. Amen. <laughs> you don't have to have prayed to ask God, Lord, should I obey the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Amen. 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 Well, let's go to Hebrews 10.32. We're going to actually do uh, two verses at least today here. Now, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. I just uh, was looking some of this up in the Greek, and it turns out that this term conflict is very unusual in the New Testament, but it's from, from a Greek word where we get our word athletic. 
athlesis. Uh, and what it means, it comes from an, an athletic contest imagery. But probably what it means here was that they had been in conflict uh, because of their faith. And so the author of Hebrews is saying when these, so these ones tempted to go back to fall away from God, there was a time, look back at your previous experience, there was a time when you would gladly suffer for the Lord. There was a time when you were made a spectacle of and you were, uh, uh, would do anything for the Lord because He was so important to you. And now what's happened? In a sense, remember the former days. In other yeah. words, if God did a work of grace in your life and you're not doing so good now, look back at that. Amen. And the Lord's the same. He didn't change. Nope. So it gives us something to go back to. Now there's a parallel in Hebrews 6 with this idea of um, warning followed by comfort. And I have a chart here that you know that that shows this. Uh, but in Hebrews 6, it says, But I'm persuaded of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. So, so the author of Hebrews gives these very severe warnings, but then brings comfort. And the comfort here would be uh, the fact that these people had lived exemplary Christian lives. And uh, so the point of the warning is that God is going to use it to bring them back to once they want, what they once knew. Okay, um, Dan, could you look up uh, two Corinthians four six, and Dean Galatians three three and four, and I'm sorry, I need help with your name again. <laughs> Kathy, Kathy, could you look up Philippians one twenty nine and thirty. And Linda, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. And Stephan, Revelation 3, 3. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, that's a cross-reference to this passage where it says, after having been enlightened. So one of the analogies of becoming a Christian is the light, that you've come into the light and that you've been enlightened and the light of God shines into your life. And uh, and it's, it's very much true. God, God brings brightness and light into our lives when before there's just darkness. Amen. And so much so that you can actually uh, at times see, you know, this is not an acid test, but you often see somebody's countenance just change uh, when, when the Lord comes into their life. Somebody noticed that about me, and I, did I say, tell that story here? To whom did I tell the story about when I got saved? I can't remember. I was telling somebody this story, but anyhow, one of the things that happened was I was blaspheming the Lord because I was so angry about Diane becoming a Christian, and the guys I worked with heard me blaspheming, and I was just angry and swearing and nasty. Well, I got saved the next day. And so I came back to work, and I was kind of, I didn't know what to say. I mean, it was, I just was kind of, I don't know if I'd call it embarrassed, but just like, what am I going to tell these guys? This is too weird. So I just got my mouth shut. 
when I was sewing my feed sack shut, I, I, ran, I ran the sacks through the sewing machine all night long from midnight till 8 in the morning. We were in a feed plant down in Iowa. I was a, a junior in chemical engineering. And I didn't say a word to anybody. I just kept my mouth shut and sewed those sacks. And it, when it came time to have our break, we always stopped at 7.30. And, and then at 8, the day shift came. And we'd sit for that last half hour and have coffee. Well, these guys said, well, what happened? We, you never told us what happened. You were gonna, you were gonna, you know, break off your, your engagement and you were gonna do all this stuff. And you were gonna, I was threatening to beat up the preacher. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just kind of sat there and I said, well, I accepted Christ. And these guys were, <laughs> their their jaws dropped open, and they they were they couldn't believe it. And this one guy says, "Well, what are you studying to be?" I said, "A chemical engineer." He said, "Well, I think you should be a preacher." Uh, that's, that's interesting. Well, the thing that I was talking about this the light shining into you because I mean my I they could see how angry and nasty I was the night before. Well, I'm sitting there. And, talk, and then these guys were didn't say much more about it, and I didn't know what else to say. But this guy comes in, who's this Baptist guy that worked there. That was, and he was always kind of this happy guy. So he comes in later after our conversation at the eight to put his lunchbox up in, uh, up in the lunchroom, and he comes up the stairs, um, and he and and I turned around and saw him coming stairs, and he stopped. He said, "Bob." What happened to you? You got the Lord all over your face. And these guys are going, whoa, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> this guy literally could see that I was different from one day to the next. And I just told him that I'd met the Lord. And so those guys were really freaked out. <laughs> so that, that began, talk about a conflict. That began a conflict because there was another guy that worked there that was just really nasty guy and he found out I was a Christian and then he took after me. He he was persecuting me every day, every way he could. Um, this this guy. And the conflict began, but there was a good thing because it it just cemented my relationship to the Lord. The fact that I was in this conflict. Amen. I wouldn't backslide because I didn't want this guy to have the satisfaction of seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Two nine. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness is blind to his eyes. So light is a characteristic of Christians. Okay, Galatians three, three and four. Three and four. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Yeah, it's a very similar warning, because Paul was warning these people that were listening to the Judaizers. They began in the Spirit. In other words, God converted them through the Gospel, and then they're going to be perfected by keeping the law of Moses. And he said, if you try to do that, your your faith is in vain. Amen. All right? So Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Okay, so it says he's been granted not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer. Amen. So suffering is something that's actually promised. Um, 
We did when we did the radio series on Romans. I, I had a little section in Romans eight where I, on the radio we talked about what sort of sufferings Christians can expect. And Romans eight says this. Um, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. And Dick and I on the radio were discussing, now what does Paul mean by the sufferings of this present time? And one of the first things, I th- if I remember, it was, it was a couple of years ago when we did this, but one of the first things we talked about was it's limited to time, in time. So it's sufferings that are characterized by this age. That will not be true in the age to come. Now, what sort of sufferings do we know that we have that is particularly true of Christians? Well, number one, when we become a Christian, now we, we, the rest of our life that we live out on this face of this earth, we're in conflict with the rest of the world. Amen. Our, our thinking is different. Our, our beliefs, our, how we live, we're, we're in conflict. It's just inevitable because friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Right? So we're in conflict and we, and that creates a degree of suffering, I think, for everybody. Uh, and that, here's another reason, way that we suffer because we're Christians. When you are in the world only and only following the flesh, you're kind of pulling in one direction. <laughs> Right? You got all your horses hitched and they're kind of going in one direction. And when you become a Christian, you enter into a situation where because we're not yet perfected, we have desires in us that are not legitimate. Amen. And because the flesh is still real, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, it says in Galatians 5. And so now we have to resist what we used to just follow. Amen. Okay, and that's a lot harder. It's hard. It's definitely harder. I remember I used to that people used to write tracts when I was in Bible college to shame Christians, and I decided that the tracts weren't legitimate. The tracts were back when I was in Bible college. The big issue was communism, so they would uh, they would talk, talk about these communist missionaries, uh, communist party members, how dedicated they were. And then compared it to, to your average Christian, and they'd say the communists are more dedicated than the Christians, and it's no wonder communism is winning. And that would be our track to shame us into being better Christians. But but I thought about that for a while. I thought, well, you know, the reason these communists are so fully sold out to what they're doing is they only have one thing to deal with. They have nothing else. They have nothing but this world, and they think that that's their hope in this world, communism. They have nothing but the flesh. So they can use whatever means. They can lie, cheat, steal, anything they have to do to spread their message because they have no moral constraints. And they're only one focus, and that's their fleshly thing. Whereas a Christian, we have things that we have to deal with. We, we have to be concerned about the world to come, and the flesh, and we have the flesh and the spirit, and I just don't think it's a fair comparison. That's what I thought back in, in the 70s. And so there's the suffering of the fact that we're in conflict with the world. There's the suffering that is a conflict within us against the flesh. And then there's the suffering that's endemic to all humans, which is the fact that we are uh, suffering from entropy. Uh, 
that means everything is tending towards disorder. So we're getting old, we're dying, like, you know, life just has its, has its negatives, okay? And we long for the world to come. So there's a number of things that Paul says the sufferings of this present age is more than one type of suffering, but this particularly true for Christians. So, what is being said here is that at one point, you are willing to endure these conflicts of sufferings. If you're not now, why not? Amen. Amen. That's, that's what's being asked. I was willing to have a guy persecute me and hate me when I first became a Christian. I hope that's still true. Um, see, uh, Linda, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. May, may, Lord, may that be true for each of us, that we could say that like Paul. Revelation 3, 3. So remember what you have received. And heard, keep it, repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come on your feet. You will not know at what hour I will come to you. That's a warning to one of the churches in Revelation that comes from Jesus to remember what you had and to repent. So there again, it was using a, a remembrance of a past enlightenment and past victory to uh, bring us back to where we should be if we are indeed slipping away um, from the Lord. You know, we um, somebody said earlier, maybe it was Dan, we really do need one another, brothers and sisters. We need to be together. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another. And we need the body of Christ uh, so badly. Amen. And it really does break my heart, this, these emails I get from all over the world from people who long for that and cannot find it. I think it should cause us to be rejoice if we do have it. I, I made here a composite email that basically is the same story I've heard a hundred or two hundred times. I can't, I, have, I can't give you an exact number, but in the dozens. Let me read this composite email. Quote, I need some advice. I have been told that I am a bad influence on the congregation and that I am dividing the body of Christ. What happened was that our pastor decided to change the church to the seeker-sensitive model. He no longer preaches the gospel. The sermons are watered down and have little biblical content. What Bible is used is from a paraphrase. The music is more entertainment than worship. Everything has changed. When I asked the pastor about it, he told me these changes were necessary for the church to reach new people and grow. I told him I strongly disagreed and asked him to preach the gospel. He has most of the church board on his side. I was saved in this church and I have supported it for many years. I did not want to be divisive, but it doesn't seem right that the Bible teach, that Bible teaching and gospel preaching have been removed from the church, what shall I do? Quote, unquote. I get that every day. Well, I've written an article for those people. This is, this is my, 
<laughs> because it takes a long reply all these emails. I'm going to write an article and have it on the website. I can just send a link. The article says that anybody who, who is striving together for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1.27, is a true friend of Christian unity. Amen. That Christian unity is defined by the gospel, it begins with the gospel, and is nurtured by the word of God. Amen. And that the person who would take those things away from Christians, the word of God and the gospel, is an enemy of Christian unity. Amen. And, and that we need to uh, somehow strive together for the faith of the gospel. And the, and the problem is uh, the, that's causing this is this idea that the church needs to be desirable by in the eyes of the average unregenerate person. This is not a biblical requirement. The, the Bible never said that the church should be a place that ever, your average religious person out there is going to like. The church is the called out ones. The church must nurture the flock. Amen. Or they will starve, and they will backslide, and they will be hurt, and they will be damaged. We've got to feed. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Do you feed love me? Sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. That's job one. Yes, Larry. The scriptures like what Paul said in First Corinthians and Galatians fit right in with what you said. For example, he says, you know, there now has to be disagreements among us to show which is God's proof in First Corinthians. And also Galatians says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Yeah, that's very good. Uh, second Corinthians has material. Yeah, there's a lot of places in the New Testament, like Larry said, where Paul literally addresses this. And you have to have a definition of what's the gospel, what's the word of God, what's the teachings of Christ and his apostles. And having understood what that is, then that becomes the test about who's actually a friend of unity and who isn't. And all of those who promote those things are striving for Christian unity. All of those who say, I'm the boss, everybody fall in line and do it the way I say just because I said so, that's not promoting unity. That's promoting conformity to man-made religion. Amen. And there's a big difference. I promise you, uh, dear ones, that these basic, simple things that God has given us, um, the Word of God, fellowship, prayer, the Lord's Supper, these things that He gave us that may seem very boring to some people, uh, trite or unimportant, are the most powerful things that you can have in your life that God will use to change your life. Amen. And you will grow in the Amen. Lord. You will be preserved from backsliding. You will be admonished and, and nurtured and brought along. And every last one of us needs it. Amen. I don't care if we had the Bible memorized. Uh, There's some people that are capable of doing that, I guess. Uh, it's still You're still going to need to get together and, and, and study it with the brothers and sisters. Amen. Pete, did you have something? When I became a believer, I, I just started seeing, and, and I was into it. I thought it was something that was right. But the bottom line is, through too many years of realizing it, that church can't be something that is actually cool. You know, you can't tell people, man, my church is cool. You got to come check it out. 
Because when I was little, you had, that's when the whole secret friendly thing started up. Then. All of a sudden, I was going to this church that was like, cool, man. I was going to this church, it's cool. And, and the music was a great show. And the people there were like one huge clique. But if you think about it, church is actually not cool. Church is where you go because there's freaks and there's geeks there. And there's people who are sick. And they've got only one healer. And that healer, obviously, is Jesus. Yeah. So it's not a place that you're going to start calling cool and come to this hangout. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that's true because I think my my opportunity to be cool passed me by about 20 years. <laughs> Thanks. I agree with you. Yes. Just to paraphrase on what he said, the the more the church becomes like the world, so we can influence the world. So we can touch them. The more we become like them, the less we have to offer. Yes. And the sicker we are going to get. As yeah, in this article I talk about that, and 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 all there's there's two or three verses that that's those verses are all you need to put an end to that kind of thinking, and it's in one Corinthians one, where Paul says that the gospel is foolishness to the Greek and offensive to the Jews. Now, that's everybody, Jew and Gentile. That's all the people. So the gospel is already not going to be perceived as desirable by the people in the world. Linda. Well, you know, I, I think kind of a test for me is like I think, well, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God in regards to the purpose-driven life type thing. I look at how popular it is, and I think nothing that that's popular, is that popular can really... Be the gospel because it wouldn't be possible. It, yeah, it doesn't offend. It doesn't offend anybody. Oh, this book is so You know, and it's like, well, how can it be the gospel then if it's that? Well, you know, Linda, I I've been, I listened to some CDs. <laughs> I, I I somebody gave me a couple CDs of Dave Hunt talking about. Well, actually, I've got this is a new one. Uh, I got two new Dave Hunt. He's talking about that. But the, here's what Dave Hunt was saying. He has talked to a bunch of people who really love the purpose-driven life, and not one of them was converted by it. He, yeah, he said. He, yeah, the, this, this couple was. You know, it's a great thing. We went through it, and we're never going to go through it with some friends. And he was talking to them about the Lord. Well, they didn't know the Lord. They, they were never born again. So they went through the whole thing, thought it was great, and, were, and they and they weren't converted. So, see, that shows you it's not the gospel. Why? Because the true gospel will do one of two things. It'll convert you or it'll make you mad. Amen. Alright? It's either offends or it converts. But it, people are not neutral about it. Exactly. Well, I think, you know, you know, when I think about that book, it's like a lot of things that are included in that book are things that people are doing in churches and they think they're for people. You know, and I mean, for the test, I think, is like to ask someone, do you think you're a good person? <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, you know, I mean, I think if somebody's saved, they'd be like, oh, yeah, amen, Linda. Yeah, but, you know, by the grace of God, I can do something with my life, you know, but 
I think there's a lot of people following that model who think because they're doing all that stuff that they're right. They're, they're, I, I hadn't thought of that. I want to get this on the tape here if it's still going. <laughs> Linda just said, a good test if you ask somebody if they're a good person, if they think you're a good person. If you ask a true Christian, they'll say no. And if you ask somebody lost, they'll say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's like Jim Bukowski had one like that, Linda, where he was, he was at a gym where this person that goes to one of these health and wealth gospel uh, churches was going and said, I'm a Christian. So Jim asked her, why are you a Christian? And she couldn't answer. She, she thought about, I don't know, that's a hard, why am I a Christian? I don't know. So then he came and asked Dan Litsky. <laughs> well, he got an answer. <laughs> he wanted to see what kind of response he got from different people. I asked him why they're a Christian. But it's pretty telling. A true Christian will say, because God was merciful to a sinner, uh, because the blood of Christ washed away my sins. And somebody that's not really converted will, they'll say, well, because I find the church helps me and makes me feel better and about myself. And take it back on Linda's comment though, about popularity and things that are popular in the world. When I was backslidden, I purposely left the church, joined the Navy, and off I went into the world. And while I was in the service with no one, accountable to no one, I decided to step out into the world and experience it for a while, just to see what it was like. But the farther I got into it, the more accepted you, if I was, if you will. And because something is popular doesn't make it right, but I would call my parents on the phone long distance from San Diego, and every single time my mother would say, are you back in church yet? And my argument was, I was so backslidden, my argument was there's nothing wrong with my life. The whole world is doing it. It cannot be wrong. Uh-oh. It was popular. <laughs> and you know where the whole world's going, too. Yeah. Um. You know, and the Lord started working on me. He just really, I mean, started taking things away from me that I thought were bringing me life. And that's at the point where I really humbled myself and repented of all that stuff. And when I'd share my story with other people, they'd be like, I could see they were thinking, well, I'm sorry I like all that happened to you, but like, did you really have to go off the deep end? He went off the deep end with the Lord, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Well, we went late here today. I hear the kids out there restless, so God bless you.